Welcome to the Financial Advisors Edge Podcast, a show created by financial advisors for financial advisors. Are you ready for some straight talk about building and growing a financial services practice? Four advisors in different states at different firms that have each built $100 million plus practices from scratch the right way through hard work, doing the right thing, and having fun while doing it. It's time for you to get the edge. Here are your hosts, Brad Warhurt, Jeff Copeland, Jim Martin, and Greg Gonzalez. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Financial Advisors Edge podcast. I am joined by Jeff the Savant Copeland today. Uh, and uh, we are talking all things taxes and how to how to potentially integrate into your practice uh, tax planning, not tax planning, tax advice. I, you're going to have to help me with the verbiage here, Jeff, because I don't want to step over the compliance red line as we go through here. But you know, I, I think about this a lot in my practice, and and I think we do an okay job here. But I'm going to be honest. I really think this could be an area where if you're an advisor, especially in the independent space, you can really differentiate yourself from some of the competitors. And if you're in the captive space, you definitely want to listen to this because um, we're going to walk you through ways you can potentially integrate this into your process. And then ultimately, you're going to want to know what guys like Jeff are doing uh, when they're talking to prospects and clients, because these are areas you need to know what your competition does, even if you're not allowed to do it. By golly, you want to know how they do it. And I, I got to tell you, before we get started here um, about Jeff a little bit, Jeff runs just uh, you know a hyper-focused, amazing practice. In fact, Jeff doesn't know this, so this might be news to him, but I've got a list in my estate planning documents for my trust for my family, and there are six advisors listed in there. And if you know, I were to die or predecease my wife, uh, he's listed on there as somebody that she should call in interview to be an advisor. So I really, um, I mean that sincerely, like he is a, he is a financial planners planner. And I know we don't get deep enough into the weeds sometimes on our, our, our group shows. Cause we're talking about very specific topics, but I'm, uh, Jeff, I'm, I'm excited to talk about taxes. So, um, without further ado, let's just jump in. Like, what do we call it first off? So are you giving tax advice or are you doing tax planning? I think that's a good question. Um, and I, I will tell you, so number one, let's start with a disclaimer. We are not tax professionals. We are not providing tax advice. And all of you and your clients should consult with their tax preparer before making any decisions. <laughs> um, so that said, I yes, I think it's accurate to say I do now give tax advice in my practice. And uh, the reason I can feel comfortable saying that is I do have the Certified Financial Planner Practitioner Designation, or CFP commonly known as, which does actually give you some latitude, even with most firms, I believe that's fair to say, to actually give tax advice. Um, now, that said, I started with a large national firm uh, that may or may not have required that I paint one wall dark green. Um, and I was doing a lot of this when I was with that firm as well. Um, and, um, and certainly where I was then is a whole different place than where I was now. Um, and I, I was not giving tax advice, certainly when I was working within that firm, I was gathering information about clients' tax situations. Um, and I was making sure that what I was doing or recommending was consistent with their tax situation. So what do we call it? We call it being tax aware. 
um, and being conscious of taxes, being knowledgeable in taxes. Um, and, and I think that's how I'd be very comfortable explaining it to a client um, is, uh, again, should you be with a firm that's very strong, let's say, on not giving tax advice? Um, by the way, if I were you, I'd reach out to those that review your written correspondence and ask them, uh, is there any firm issue with me being competent in taxes? Yes or no? I think they'd probably say there's no issue with that. Is there any issue with me explaining how things work on a tax return? I can't see how a firm would have any issue with that. So I, I'd say tax, to long answer to a short question, tax awareness, working in tax, comfortable with tax, certainly able to explain tax, things from a tax point of view. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, I think it's great. Um, and, and I really think, I, I've I've stated this to you guys before privately, but I really believe that as an industry, uh, w- the world is shifting a little bit, and, and not it's not it's not rapid paces, but it's moving, and we're going to have to as advisors add more value to clients' lives to justify the fees we charge. Like your your fancy portfolio that you've built, I'm sure it's great. But it's the same thing that everybody else has. Like it's the same Vanguard or iShares or Dimensional or whatever, whatever, what pick your flavor of funds or ETFs. It's the same thing. You don't have anything special. What you have special is between your your two ears. And adding value via taxes is a big deal. Are you are is that kind of why you made this move into it, Jeff? Is it for some other reason? No, I think that's right. Um, it probably came, if I think back, with my move to advisory fee-based business. Um, and so I'd begun a process of collecting information from clients, but then needed to be comfortable, quite honestly, articulating, well, what's the value of the fee that you're providing to me? And to your point exactly, um, Again, many of the people listening won't even remember advisory fees started previously with what was called a fee in lieu of commission, uh, where you paid a percentage fee, but that's exactly what it was called. And the reason it was called that fee was because the expectation was that the advisor could get a better rate of return at a lower cost by charging a fee in lieu of a commission um, uh, to the client. Um, And so there was a lot of pressure on rate of return. And um, and then again, as I was moving to advisory fee based based business in the mid to late 2000s, that's when the trend was shifting toward what was called an advisory fee, which meant you were giving advice and counsel, and you needed to justify that. And rate of return was not enough, uh, and so I needed to articulate: okay, rate of return through not you not making bad decisions as part of the value of my fee, but my competence in other aspects of your financial life, candidly, I would tell people is worth more than half of what you're paying yeah. me. Uh, so it, um, yeah, I think that that was for me, the shift when I went to advisory fee-based business, um, I needed to feel comfortable that I was really providing good value on an ongoing basis. Yeah, m- makes complete sense. So let's let's dive right in. Let, let's imagine I, I'm a I'm an independent advisor, an RIA, or I'm at a captive firm. Uh, how do I get started? Like I think that's the hard part. Like a lot of us, we want to be able to provide tax efficient withdrawal strategies, and we want to be able to to really help our clients. But what what are some of the really the kind of the low hanging fruit? that advisors can start with. Let's let's start with there. Are, are, are you requesting a tax return? 
It is. Yeah. I mean, and, and then also let's get inside the advisor's ears because he or she is saying, I've not spoken with my clients about this ever. How do I do it comfortably? Um, and and so to kind of go back a second, and then I'll answer your question. Um, the, the easy justification right now is to explain to your clients, the tax law we are under is scheduled to expire at the end of 2025. So we are now in roughly a three-year window prior to a potentially significant change in tax law all over again. Right. It's Taxes are on sale, right? Yeah. I mean, that's it. And, and there's going to be a political debate that heats up um, that will come leading into the 2020, well, 2024 political uh, campaigns and election and then a 2026 election. So you, you are well served and your clients are to be saying, we're on a shelf life here of historically low tax rates. I want to be sure and be very clear on what your tax situation is so that anything we, any decisions we might be making over these next few years, two to three years, are certainly, again, most able to take full advantage of where we are historically on, on income tax rates. So to answer your question, yes, when I meet with a client, part of our uh, pre-meeting preparation is to ask them for a copy of their prior year's income tax return. And, and um, what, what, what are you looking for on that? So once you've gotten their tax return, I, I mean, I have clients, so I, we ask people to bring it in and they hand it over to me and I'm like, okay. And I kind of do look at the things I look at. I look at dividends. I want to see if they're receiving things they didn't tell me about. So I go back to, I don't know what schedule that is, but I flip into the back and I see where they're at. But what what other things are you looking for when you get a tax return? Yeah, good question. So the thing I started doing very early in my career was when I got that, in, and very important, by the way, uh, do not ask clients for their tax return so you can review it. Reviewing okay. is passive and boring and unnecessary in most people's minds. Um, you're asking for a tax return so you can gather some very specific pieces of information. So early on, what I did was... Uh, Start tracking the calendar year, the tax year, calendar year, uh, their adjusted gross income and their taxable income. And then the marginal tax rate that that put them in, federal tax bracket. Um, and then assuming you're in a state, which I am with state income taxes, the state income tax bracket that they that, that put them in. So basically, I wanted to say in calendar year 2021, this was their gross and taxable income. This was their federal and state income tax rates. So. Um, so number one, what are you looking for? In my opinion, you're looking to build a history of you being knowledgeable about what tax bracket people were in, not only in the prior year, but ideally now I have the luxury of having been doing this for a long time. I can look back at, at, and show clients in black and white. Uh, by the way, their tax return does not go back uh, in time. It only goes in this year and forward. Um, and I can tell them, you know, in year 2005, you were in a 20, by the way, prior tax law, you were in a 28% federal bracket. So I'm now falling back on those years and years of history that I had uh, because I want to illustrate to the client, um, you know, when you were making pre-tax deferrals to your 401k or IRA in 2005, it was at 28%. Now I'm looking at that same uh, information five to 10 years later and saying, you're in a, oftentimes, by the way, 22% federal bracket, those same people. Um, and the, the goal there, not one of the goals, is I can make a, a clear argument. Uh, I mean, not it's not I'm not arguing anything. I'm showing them in black and white. 
If you were to pay taxes on those dollars today, you won the math on tax deferral. You deferred at 28, you're paying tax at 22. That's the whole point of tax. Awesome, right? Awesome. Yeah. So again, it's it's a clear black and white, in that case, 6% alpha that they got through deferring at one rate and paying taxes at another. So you I'm know, looking I'm, at the- and I'm amazed when you do this because we we don't we don't we you know that's I don't know that I do that in my practice, but that's that's uh, I'm writing that down because that's a uh, that's a big deal to show people the power of tax deferral. The other thing that I, that kind of struck me as you were talking, and I, I just stole a Kitsis line by saying "struck me," but um, I, I, I promise not to do that. Although I do love the Kitsis podcast. But another thing that kind of just got me when you you were saying that, uh, a lot of people don't understand how brackets even work. Like they they you know I don't want to earn more money because I'm going to go into another tax bracket, and I'm always like. Oh my gosh, don't say that. That's not, you know, no big deal. You're not going to earn. It doesn't affect the rest of your taxes. It just earn, it just affects what you earn. And then the last thing is people don't understand what their effective tax rate is. Like they, they think, they think because they, they jumped into the 22% bracket that, that they're paying 22%, which couldn't be further from the truth given their deductions and everything else. Are you, are you walking people through that when you're educating them? A hundred, a hundred percent. Yep. Yep. And what I tell the advisors is get very comfortable with being able to explain that to the client. So yeah, all day long. And so one of the things that stays on my uh, desk when I meet with clients or the, the meeting room table is that tax bracket chart. I it, And laminate it, really good, strong lamination. And the thing will hold up, Look, it'll look new for a whole year. Um, and I do just that. And so be able to articulate people when you earn a hundred thousand bucks, the first 25 grand plus is tax free through a standard deduction if you're married. Then you start working your way through the tax brackets. Um, and it's hilarious, by the way, how people oftentimes they say what they say based on their political ideology. <laughs> yep. um, and, and this is how you take politics out of the conversation. And generally speaking, uh, my experience tells me those that are paying some of the lowest tax rates complain the most about their income taxes. Oh, isn't that the truth? You you'll sit down with somebody and they're 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 whining about their taxes and you you get out the calculator and you realize they paid an eight percent effective tax rate. And I, I don't know. I just I don't have a lot of sympathy in that, that situation. Although you have to handle it with grace. You know, you have to uh you have to you have to really you have to really approach that in that way. So that's good. I th- I think that's fantastic. Are there anything? Are there other wins when you're looking at that tax return? Are there other things advisors should be looking for on that? there? Uh, and yeah, I kid you not. We could probably cover, spend three hours on just the information you can take from a tax return. Um, but let's again starting with the basics. Another thing is look at especially if they're retirees if they have tax due or tax refunds. Um, because especially if they have tax due, um, there's a good chance there is a button that you can push with them to change that tax due. Um, and nothing drives people crazier than having an uncertain tax situation at tax time. Um, and especially when they have tax due. Um, and so then you need to look at what decisions have you made with the client um, that have caused either that tax due or that tax refund. And again, the easy, easy, easy slam dunk thing. And again, notice we're not talking advice yet here at all is if you've got a re- retiree taking income distributions from their IRA 
and they have tax due, uh, or well, again, or a refund, um, you ought to adjust the withholding on those um, uh, IRA distributions. And it's really, really basic stuff, but it's it's a easy blocking and tackling thing. I see so many, by the way, competitive competing advisors totally missing out on. Um, yeah. the, the advisors never walk through tax withholding with the client. And, and these are trigger points for clients. I mean, they, they do not like doing this. I mean, I, I, you tell me if I'm wrong, but on the tax return, you know, you can also take a look if there's uh, if you're going to cause a Medicare issue or there has been one, uh, you can take a look and see if there's potential, uh, potential tax savings on social security. Uh, what are, what are some other things out? I know, I know we can spend three hours. We're going to pivot. (laughs) We're going to pivot here pretty soon because I, here's the, here's the reality of this stuff was like, um, at our Facebook group, Jeff really, um, he kind of nerds out on this stuff. So, uh, I, I just, again, I take notes. I know, I know enough to be pretty good and better than most of the folks, but not on net, not close to his level, but on our Facebook group. And you can search for this by going to, uh, go to Facebook and just type in, uh, the financial advisors edge. You'll see a financial advisors edge community. Make sure you select group on there. And, uh, if you've got questions about taxes, uh, I, I, Jeff doesn't like to engage until that. I don't know. He must have been a former IRS agent in a past life, or <laughs> uh, or something like that. But yeah, uh, do that. Are, are there any other? Are there any other big, um, low hanging fruits on that tax return that we need to be aware of? Um, yeah. So looking at the investment activity um, is in black and white what the clients have going on for other assets, and so if they've got, of course. When we've been in a zero interest rate environment, this has been less true. That's about to change in the next coming years. If they've got big uh, chunks of uh, invest, I'm sorry, should say ordinary income or interest income coming in on their tax return, that's a sign that they've got big deposits, CD assets, or um, or bonds, or or even big money market balances in some cases. So you want to be looking at the interest income page to see if they've got interest income coming in. Um, Second, this is where they'll forget to tell you until you ask them about that direct stock position that they've had for 100 years, (laughs) that they're getting a 1099 from a- um, a, Copy uh, share. Yeah, yeah, uh, exchange or whatever they're called, transfer agent. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that's it's a direct position. And they don't realize in many cases that it's an investment asset. They think they put it in a different bucket. Like, oh yeah, we get dividends from stock that I inherited from my dad. Uh, and we've been getting it for a hundred years uh, or whatever it is. So I'm looking at that. Yeah. And then again, if they may or may not have mentioned that they're working with another firm, if there's capital gains activity or gains distributions, it's going to be right there in black and white. Yeah, the you, you can't hide it from Uncle Sam. So that's that's the beauty of it. So I think I think the first takeaway from this really simply is you ought to no matter where you're at whether you're at a uh, at a captive firm or you're an independent uh advisor or an RIA you ought to be asking for the tax return and you should begin to really familiarize yourself with taking a look at these and understanding what the different lines represent on a tax return so you can speak about it intelligently with, with your clients. I, I I've learned a long time ago like people people get obsessive about taxes and trying to figure out ways to um to reduce their taxes so let's 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 kind of pivot into that because there's i've got two other areas i really want to hit on that i think are going to be good uh but i'd love to talk about 
you know, Roth conversions and, you know, people love to talk about Roth conversions these days. They, they, they like to talk about it, but the, people really worry themselves. Like where, what's the best software and how do I calculate a Roth conversion? And what, what's the best way to do this? How, what do you think, Jeff? Are you doing Roth conversions in your practice? How do you do them? How do you determine if it's in the client's best interest? Good question. We're very active in Roth conversions. So yeah, around Roth conversions, uh, certainly it is something that we're doing actively. That said, I feel like um, it, it is in the the out there as a conversation point right now with many of our competitors, but they're asking way too much of the client in terms of making really big decisions on really big conversions. Um, and then you asked about software. I think there's a tendency in our industry to try and over-focus on uh, illustrating 10, 20, and 30 years out into the future. And that's just asking way too much uh, of the client. So I often tell clients, we we know basically two or three things. We know what's happened in the past. We know where we are right now. And we know where we can expect to be probably six to 12 months out into the future. But to try and illustrate things out five, 10, 15, 20 years um, really is just creates paralysis by analysis. And it tends to be overthinking things. So, so as I position Roth conversions, um, I, by the way, I have some pretty deep philosophies about what I believe to be best. And I explain that to clients. That's important. Um, there's, there's the concept of tax deferred versus tax controlled, I call it. So what I'm doing is looking at a client's um, net worth statement of which I have for every client. Very simple one page um, list of their assets, by the way. And then I uh, articulate what percentage of their assets is in each of their bucket. It's very buckets. It's very common, by the way, that the uh, 401k, tax deferred 401k represents 70 to 80% of somebody's net worth uh, or of their long-term retirement savings. And so I'm starting, okay, item one is we'll use round numbers for simplicity's sake. You have a million dollars in long-term savings, $800,000 of it is tax deferred, $200,000 of it is controlled for taxes because it's in a Roth IRA. I'm oversimplifying here to make the point. So I'm telling the client, you are currently in a position that in the future, 80% of your savings will be subject to future tax rates. In a perfect world, I often, I say this all the time, every day, in a perfect world, half of your savings would be controlled for future taxes. Half of them will be tax deferred to benefit from that today. What I can tell you, and the, the world is not perfect and never will be, but let's do what we can to get closer to the perfect world. And so if you're currently 80-20, and we know you're in a 22% bracket, and we have lots of reasons to believe you're going to be in a 22% or similar bracket for the long run, and we're eyeballing that, you can kind of tell, um, then let's do what we can to start breaking that curve of 80-20, and let's even just push it to 75-25, which typically, again, if we're talking a million dollars, that takes a chunk of change to make that happen. $50,000 of, of change in tax consequence. And so again, what I'm explaining to clients is Tax law historically has always made it really easy to defer taxes into the future uh, through big 401k contributions and even tax deferred IRAs. Um, let's do the opposite of what's easy 
and start increasing the portion that we have of tax controlled savings. So all that's conceptual. It's let's take you from 80-20 to even 79-21. Because you know what? Even if we're wrong, tax law is going to let you flip, if you're 50 plus, another 26,000 bucks to the tax deferred side next year. Um, and, and so it's always easy to increase the tax deferred side. It's much harder to increase the tax controlled side. So I'm looking at that very simple ratio and saying, what can we do to just make a step to get you closer? And then I explain why, because, and, and I, again, go back to one of the values of working with me is that not only am I working with people like you at your stage of the game, but I'm working with people that are in their 60s and about to retire, 70s and well into their retirement, and their 80s and 90s and dealing with a spouse that passes, and then in their 90 plus years passing to beneficiaries. So I can see into your future, and I know what's going to happen. Um, And this is exactly how I explain it to clients. You're going to have a really big tax deferred IRA that's going to have required minimum distributions that are taxable in the future at whatever your future bracket is. And you're going to be spending more. You're going to have more income that's taxable than you need to live off of. And you're going to say, why did we not look back or think back and control for some of these taxes when we could have? Yeah. Yeah, I love it. And, um, you know, I, I think... What I really liked was when you started talking about what you're going to do, you're making these discussions manageable because, you know, I've, I've sat across from people in, and you, you have this conversation where they, maybe they have a $500,000 IRA and and trying to pitch converting a $500,000 IRA is just, they they just can't wrap their mind around the fact that they're going to pay, you know, the taxes they're going to pay on that decision. And, um, and being able to do that in, a, in an effective way, I think, is really important. And the other thing, I know we haven't gotten into this, but uh, you know, I don't. I know we're we're getting close on time, so I want to go. I want to. I want to try to do this one briefly. But you know, it is is timing important on a Roth conversion? You know, the market's down right now. Is it better to do a conversion when the market's high or low? And then how do you how do you kind of pitch that, Jeff? Yeah. So I uh, <laughs> I I would assume most of our audience knows. That when value don't, don't are, assume. Well, <laughs> we've got a smart audience. We do indeed. Uh, we have we have. <laughs> judging by our Facebook group and the and the comments that are on there, there are there's some sharp people there for sure. <laughs> so, but but so what really matters is how do we articulate this to clients? Yeah. So um, so yes, I I like to convert more aggressively when asset values are down. Um, and how do I articulate that to a client? Um, again, very simple. Keep this so simple. You can explain to a client, okay, well, if you've got an investment holding worth $10,000 and then it shrinks to $6,000, well, let's say $8,000, uh, and then in the future, we know it's going to grow to $12,000. Would you rather pay taxes when it's worth $8,000 or $12,000? And then like light bulb comes on. Oh yeah. Um, I'd rather convert when it's worth eight or pay the taxes when it's worth $8,000. And then when it's worth $12,000, we can withdraw those dollars tax-free. Yeah. And I think people, I think our audience and and advisors instinctively know that, but I think they get paralyzed when the market's down because uh, these are tough conversations to have. You think your clients are 
are really in this situation where they're not really open to having these conversations. But if you can articulate this in a way where they understand and you're excited about the opportunity, it, it will help them take action in long term. It'll help both. It'll help everybody. It's, it's, it's powerful. It's really it powerful. And, and again, how do you keep this simple so the client can understand? Okay. So if you got have a, a 75 year old client, I'm saying that for 75 for a reason who had a required distribution this year, you should know what their marginal tax bracket is and you should have a pretty good idea what their tax rate is going to be next year. So again, many or most of our clients are in a 22% federal bracket now, um, maybe 24. And so they've taken their required distribution. They'll be paying the taxes at, let's say, 22%. And we know they're going to have a required distribution again next year. So I explained to the client that required distribution is based on the value of your IRA on December 31st. And so if the value of that IRA is smaller, your required distribution next year will be smaller. Like, oh, I never thought of it that way. So let's take an extra distribution now pay the taxes while values are down and the IRA balance will be that much smaller next year, meaning the required minimum distribution will be that much smaller next year. And so if we can strategically take conversion distributions above the required minimums, they can pay the taxes at the same rate, but unlike the required distribution where it's now a capital gain asset when they reinvest it, it's a Roth asset, meaning it's growing tax-free. So if the more you can maximize or utilize the marginal bracket that they're in now, um, the more tax control dollars you have, thus the smaller required distribution, smaller required distributions are in future years. And again, if you should be thinking about what's your philosophy from a tax planning point of view, it should be to utilize, especially for uh, married joint couples, the joint tax bracket that they're in. And again, as I tell clients, while you still have access to it, because uh, yeah. that's so huge. Um, because what I'm, again, explaining to those required minimum distribution clients is, guess what? Should one of you pass? The IRA balance doesn't go away, which is a good thing. The required minimum distributions don't go away, which is okay. Um, but you're going to go from a joint tax filer to a single tax filer. So going back to what should you be able to explain to clients, explain how the marginal tax brackets work as a joint tax filer, and then show them. It's just, again, illustrating the math. If you were a single tax filer, and this is what your income was, this is the tax bracket you'd be in. It's all right there in black and white. That's so. powerful. I, I I don't know that I've ever had that conversation about moving from joint to single tax brackets, but uh, I know that's going to be part of my next conversations. And um, and the other thing, I, I know we haven't talked about it, but you know this makes your clients sticky. When, when you do this kind of thing and you have these kind of conversations, they're not going somewhere else. They are going to stay with you because you're going to know more and have deeper conversations about this stuff than their, their tax preparer will in, in a huge way. I don't know if you find that, but that's what you're talking about. I'm like, man, I, I, I might need to sign up with Jeff right now. This is awesome. Are, do, you, do you have people say this stuff to you, Jeff? Totally, 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 totally. Because yeah, number one, no, well, very few tax preparers have the historical record of gross and taxable incomes that I have. So they're making arguments about this year's taxes without any consideration for what bracket the client was in when they deferred that income. So 
but but then yeah to your point the client perceives well because it's true by the way perceives us to be wrapped up in a multi-year tax strategy <laughs> yeah um be- because it's very true i mean what we're doing now is part of a 10 and 20 year strategy so to think another advisor is going to be able to replicate that uh, is really hard to do. So another advisor can can talk about short-term market conditions and long-term conditions, but it'd be really hard for them to get into our heads about what the multi-year tax strategy is. So yeah. absolutely makes them sticky. And here I want to, I kind of want to, I think we'll, we'll end on this, um, this next kind of question to you, and then we'll wrap up with some other things people can look for. But, you know, um, what, what I've found as an advisor is that so many people haphazardly stack assets into the wrong the wrong accounts so they they put the wrong tax qualified uh, 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 products in the wrong accounts and i i don't know if you see this a lot but i i see it all the time i I've, I've even seen like muni bonds in a in an ira which just I, I always scratch my head and say what what was your advisor thinking but is this a, is this kind of a low-hanging fruit where people can really take a look at the types of accounts and choose the proper products and then and then in addition to that, when you have a prospect come in, how, how do you how do you how do you build that wedge between them and their advisor when you see that kind of uh, that kind of action? Great. Yeah. Um, I just was talking with another advisor who is looking at a prospective uh, client's holdings. Um, and it was so easy to tear it apart from a tax point of view. I mean, and, and for the right reasons. Um so number one, how do you drive the wedge, or I might ar- ar- argue, uh, illustrate or articulate a difference? It's by asking them for the income tax return to begin with. <laughs> how many people, I mean, I can't tell you, have told me, I guess this guy I've been working with for years has never asked to see the return. Oftentimes, it's kind of off-putting, like, why do you need to see it? The other guy never asked for it. Um, it's like, well, the, the one of the major areas we add value is in making sure that what we do coordinates with your income tax return properly. So the fact that we're even looking at the return and being able to artic- explain what's on there is the first point of differentiation. But second then, yeah, so, so what comes up so often, it's especially this move to um, firm managed models that everybody's using. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so how do I explain to the client? I'm pretty, uh, transparent with clients that advisors are less able to do investment selection and be competitive. So they're using what are called firm managed models. By the way, clients love to be let behind the curtain a little bit. They're using firm managed models because, uh, it makes it easier for the client to, uh, either play more golf or, uh, maybe even do a better job at investment management. Um, but what they do then is they diversify each bucket within itself between bonds, U.S. stocks and international stocks, again, to oversimplify. So they've got a balanced uh, portfolio, uh, including bonds in the taxable account, a balanced portfolio in the tax deferred IRA and a balanced portfolio in the Roth IRA. Totally the wrong thing. Um, I, I argue we should asset locate and have our least tax efficient holdings in the IRA, the most tax efficient holdings in the non-qualified bucket and our highest growth exposures in the Roth bucket. And depending on what their blend is, that's gonna be different for every client because it depends on how they're weighted across those few buckets. So uh, the the case I saw recently though, had a a low turnover uh, stock fund in an IRA 
And then they had an SMA and a taxable account. Mm. <laughs> so, okay. The SMA to, by definition is going to be trading. Um, and so you should be holding the more actively managed holdings in either the Roth IRA or the tax deferred bucket and the passive static low turnover holdings in the non-qualified account. I mean, they're in this case, this was a seven plus digit portfolio and the advisor was totally blind to locating just the simple fact of what's getting more activity versus less activity in a qualified versus non-qualified bucket. So be looking, I mean, that. so that's how I'm starting to piece together what has the advisor done uh, in one versus the other. But then if they've, okay, let's say it's a good advisor, they've been doing conversions, were they selectively converting? So, you know, I'm so grateful that two years ago, I was selectively converting my underperforming dividend paying stocks from IRA to Roth IRA, because we paid the taxes when that asset class was out of favor. And now we've been getting the bounce in the Roth IRA. So I'm not market timing, but you can look at a balanced portfolio and say, this is up a lot, this is up less, and this is down. Let's convert the one that's down or up less. Um, and again, that's how I would explain it to the client. So looking at, is the advisor tuned into those things? And I, I have to tell you, out of uh, the 10, any 10 prospective clients I'm seeing, 9.9 of them are not yeah. <laughs> dialed into this sort of thing. Yeah, th- th- this has been great, and I, um, you know, I'll uh, we'll we'll wrap up here. But I want to give some quick tips for people and some ideas. But uh, yeah, this has been great because it's really it's really shown, at least me, there's some things I need to be doing more of. I, that that joint having a conversation with a married couple that uh, they're in a tax favor status and they're, they they only have a limited amount of time probably to take advantage of that. That's, that's really powerful. And some of the other stuff has been great. And I think the, I think the thing that advisors really need to do is once you have these conversations, look, you, you need to, you know, I, I, and I don't know if you do this or not, Jeff, and we can talk about that, but I think you almost need to quantify what your value is though on this stuff, because if you're not showing people that these are actually going to long-term save them money and what that, what that could be, like what that projected tax rate savings could be, I don't think you're going to get the full value of the conversation from the client's perspective. It's kind of like when we rebalance in our, uh, in our firm and we rebalance regularly, like we should, like everybody else does probably, but we let our clients know when we do it and not because, um, not because we want kudos, but they're going to get confirmation statements, but we do want them to know we're actively in their accounts rebalancing. And when you're making these tax recommendations, you know, I think it's okay to think about like, what's the projected long-term savings. And I don't, I know you can't, I know you can't like guarantee this, but projected long-term savings. Is it, do you ever get into that conversation? Do you see value in that, Jeff? I do. And, you know, again, here's something that I think a lot of advisors miss the boat on is as long as you're not sharing any confidential information uh, in violation of a client uh, trust, you can show clients other people's either tax returns or 1099s. Uh, again, without any personal information on them or a sample or whatever you want to do. Right. You have to and, redact the name. Yeah. Um, but I mean, show them or, you know, find examples of client cases. Uh, if you can't show, if you don't, can't see it on the client's returns or 1099s, 
Um, but I, yeah, easy examples where I've taken, again, round numbers, let's just say $10,000 of interest income um, and turned that into qualified uh, US-oriented uh, dividend-paying stocks for somebody that's in a 12% bracket, taking it from an interest-bearing income down to a capital asset, which at that range is zero taxes. So let's just say it's 10,000 bucks of income that they're now not paying taxes on. That's 1,200 bucks a year in taxes that went away and yeah. will every year. So yeah. I, you know, I'd, I'd articulate it to that way and say, over 10 years, that's 12,000 bucks. Yeah. Um, and that's why, yeah, that's why we get paid to do what we do because we're doing some very simple rearranging of how you hold your investment dollars in order to streamline your income tax return. I would say it's very sophisticated. I know, I know, I don't think you're giving yourself enough credit compared to how other, uh, I know it seems very basic to you, uh, but if you went and talked to most advisors or many advisors, I don't know if it's most, but a lot of them aren't thinking in these terms. They, they just aren't. They're, they're stuck on asset allocation and, and, and risk tolerance and all the other stuff. And they, they don't really make this pivot. And, and we, we, uh, we cover, we miss so many things today just because we're, we're sort of running out of time, but you know, QCDs and donor advised funds and tax loss harvesting, qualified gains, and uh, all of these things that are out there that, uh, that we'll get into in a future episode, but Jeff, I want to uh, I want to thank you for uh, kind of pulling back the curtain on your practice and and really showing us how you think about these things because I, I, they're really powerful. They really are. Look, if you want to uh, if you want to join us in, in our community, go out to the financial advisor or thefaedge.com. Thefaedge.com is our website. But on on Facebook, you can search for the financial advisors edge. Uh, make sure you select groups. You'll see it listed right there. It's listed as the Financial Advisors Edge community. You can join us and interact with us and ask questions. We've got an awesome community of advisors that are sharing and growing and trying to get better and a, a really smart, uh, capable group of uh, folks out there. So we invite you to join. If you like the show, if you found value in it, make sure you leave us a five-star review. Until next time, we'll be back. Make sure you get the edge. And thanks for listening, guys. Thanks for listening to the show. Check us out at thefinancialadvisorsedge.com if you want to learn more about us. If you enjoyed the content, make sure to leave us a five-star review and tell your friends about us. The opinions that are expressed in the shows are that of each host only and don't necessarily reflect the opinion of the other hosts. Like the weather, our opinions can change. This podcast isn't intended to provide tax, legal, or investment advice. Always consult with a qualified professional. We cannot guarantee our opinions or forecasts are right. See you next week.